0: Welcome to the Artist Work Ethic Podcast. I'm Mike Pelak. I'm an actor, screenwriter, and filmmaker who's always looking to maximize my time and potential as I work to break in. In this podcast, I talk to artists of all kinds who have seen success in their fields about their process, habits, and work ethic. Today on the show is Scott Rosenbaum. Scott's a film and TV screenwriter, producer, and showrunner. He served as the executive producer and showrunner of multiple series, including ABC's V. Fox's Gang Related, NBC's Chuck, USA's Queen of the South, and as executive producer on FX's The Shield. As an original member of The Shield's writing staff, Rosenbaum won a Golden Globe for best drama. A couple quick things before we jump into the episode. I've talked in the past about myself working on breaking into screenwriting. Please check out blackoilfilms.com screenwriting. There you can check out some of the screenplays I've written I have the first 10 pages of each one uploaded, but feel free to email me at Podcast at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to send you a full script if you're interested in reading. The script I want to highlight today is a feature drama called I Know You. I Know You is about when a man discovers that he can know details about those around him and uses his ability to improve his life at the cost of his own personal morality. Last thing before we get into the episode, I would love anyone listening to subscribe, rate, and review the Artist's Work Ethic Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us put the show out there for more people to listen to. All right, Scott, thank you so much for coming on with me today. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So you've done a ton in TV, writing and executive producing The Shield, Chuck, Gang Related, a bunch of others. When you were first beginning to work on a professional level, what was the moment that you kind of realized it was all coming together?
1: That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I actually remember the moment very, very vividly. I came out to Hollywood. I was mostly just writing film scripts. I didn't even really know anything about the TV business. At my college, there was no TV writing, which is film writing. And I wrote tons i was writing voraciously i was writing a lot of scripts i was um getting great feedback on all my scripts i was able to get like a top agent i was so excited i thought everything was moving beautifully and script producers would take my scripts into the studios and but I never sold one and over the uh, course of years it started to get i was working many jobs as so i was a waiter i was a bartender i was working at clothing stores, anything I could to make money, I sort of remember um, being very frustrated because I thought my scripts were really good, and everybody was telling me how talented I was, and that they liked my material, and I didn't quite understand why I wasn't selling anything, and I do remember an agent of mine at the time said to me, he goes, this is a town that is of enc- filled with encouragement, and right now you're dying of it. I didn't really like that when he said that to me, only because I know he was right. But when it's coming from like your agent, you sort of expect him after he says that to then say, "But keep at it because you're talented, and if you work, keep working hard. Eventually, I believe in you and you will make it." But he just cut me off at that point, point. and he was right though because you know it's a good point. It's very hard to break through even if you're ta- if you if even if people think you're talented. And anyway. I was very um frustrated. I must have written like 20 feature scripts in like five years and what you know, which is four a year, which is working really hard while working full-time jobs. And at one point, someone mentioned to me about television, because I was writing, I was not writing big spectacle stuff. I was writing what would probably be if I if it was like the 70s and they were looking for dramas that were more character driven. I think I would have done a little better, but everybody was looking for these high concept stuff. So somebody said to me, look, your writing is very much like a playwright. It's very character driven. You should go into television. Film is mostly now just big ideas and not a lot of character development. So, you know, you probably, the writers there would probably appreciate your work more. So I was like, okay, and um, how do I do that? And someone said, you got to write a spec script of an existing show. Back then they weren't asking for pilots, original material, so. I wrote a Sopranos and I based it on some childhood experiences I had. My, um, my dad uh, and I, we grew up in, in South Philly and my dad worked in South Philadelphia his whole life. And there were a lot of people in that, in that area that were, you know, somewhat in that world. And long story short was, I remember at the end of writing, literally right as I got to fade out, because it was like the, the, the script came together really beautifully in that, la- literally in the last line of the script, the whole thing. And I was like, oh my God this script's actually good. I go, for the first time, I wrote a good script. I flashed back to all my other thousands of pages I'd written before and realized, no wonder those scripts didn't sell. They weren't good. They had like good scenes, they had good sequences, they had good acts, but they weren't complete holes. They weren't, they didn't really ever come together. And it was the first moment that I thought, wow, I think this is pretty good. But I had no idea because remember all my other material Every, I'd finish and think it was good. And my agents would say, this is amazing. And producers would take would call me and say, we love the script. We want to take it to all the studios to try to sell it. So nobody ever was like stopping me at any point. So I was like, maybe it's just the same old, same old. But in my heart of hearts, I thought it was pretty good. And, and then that script went out and I got 11 offers. I mean, every single show I went up for, there were 13 new shows that year. And I got an offer on 11 of them, which is like unheard of. You're lucky if you get one, but yeah. a great... One is if you get two or three. And ultimately though, what I did was, and this is a lesson for people to to learn is all of the shows that I got offers on were all high level network shows that were from showrunners that were considered A-list showrunners at the time. And I read all the scripts and I didn't like any of them. They just, I didn't think they were good. And even though they were coming from high level people, my agents were frustrated. i like, what are you doing? You need a job. Like you've been struggling for all these years. Take one who cares. These are high level people. You'll build relationships. And they weren't wrong in that sense. But I was like, is there anything else out there? Cause I really just think these shows aren't very good. And I think I might struggle on them because if I don't think they're good, how am I going to write them? And they were like, well, there's this one other show, but it's never going to get made. And you should, but we'll send it to you. They just said, they just said they're looking for writers. And I got sent the shield and I read the shield pilot. And I was like, this is the best thing I've ever read. Please get me a meeting with them. And my agent's like, they're never making the show. It's never going to happen. And I was like, please, please, please. And miracle of all miracles, Sean Ryan read the script and liked it. And I went and met with him and I had a great meeting with him. And he was like, listen, he's like, I can't offer you a job. I don't even think this is going to get picked up. It's like we're and you know, this is when FX was nothing. And they had a show with forget who the other lead actor was in the series, but he had come off of, I think it was Luke Perry. And Luke Perry had come off of Beverly Hills 90210 and he was doing a, a darker drama, but everybody was like, oh, it's at that time when your new network, you want a big name. And Michael chiklis was coming off of Daddy O and plus it was really dark. The consensus was that FX is never picking up the shield, never gonna happen. Take one of these other jobs. And Sean even said to me, I like you a lot. I can't guarantee you I'm going to get picked up, but I also can't guarantee you I'm going to, I would hire you. If I have room, I might. So I was like, hmm, what do I do here? So all these other jobs started going away because they were like, if he's not taking it, we have someone else who's going to take it. And I was like, "Uh, I'm going to wait for the shield. And I remember getting down and there was almost no jobs left. And I was like, what do I do? What do I do? And I was like, listen, I just spent nine years struggling. The easy thing to do is take the job the easy, the job that you have in front of you and do your best with it, even if you can't relate to the material, or do I stick with my guns and go for this? And I decided that I was going to stick to my guns and the shield got picked up and Sean hired me and sort of was like, you know, transformed my life,
0: obviously. It sounds like you, you went with your instincts though.
1: Yeah. I mean, I went with my instincts. I mean, I think that the reason I had the confidence to do that too, was I think, and I I was young, young enough and not as scared. I was like, Oh, well, if they all liked my material for this season, maybe the next season I'll get picked up on a show if if the shield goes away. But it was, you know, it's funny. I, I, I don't know if I, if I had a wife and kids at the time, I probably wouldn't have taken that risk. I would have taken the, the first job. And, but I was, I was single and, and I just, still was like i gotta go with my heart i really felt that way and it was a good smart move it turned out to be for me
0: turned out very well before we started recording we kind of were talking briefly and you had mentioned that you know a lot of people think that these things are going to happen overnight you know you mentioned that you had been struggling for nine years and it was the consistent work that is what ultimately paid off for you would you say that that work ethic comes from something in how you were raised or you know, was there somewhere, some external factor that kind of drove that for you?
1: I think it, it's both. I think it was how I was raised and in combination with an external factor. And I'll give you an example. Um, the thing that's helped me the most in my life has been sports. And to just tell you right off the bat, when I was younger, I was completely uncoordinated, thin and skinny and weak. And I sucked at sports and it was devastating for me because I grew up in an area where you weren't cool unless you were good at sports. And I watched all, and I could never make the teams. And I, one day, I think I was like nine years old or 10 years old or 11 years old. And I was so upset and I didn't make the baseball team and and, and I wanted to play hockey and I didn't make the hockey team and the football team. And I was like, you know what? Screw all those guys. I'm going to get better than them. And I devoted myself at a young age to just practicing and practicing and practicing. And I got to the point that by the time I was a freshman in high school, you have to understand I was the worst baseball player in, in Little League. I was the first freshman to make the varsity team and I surpassed all the old all because kids were older than me that were sophomores and juniors, they didn't make it because I just went to the batting cages and I practiced and I practiced until I could hit the fastest ball. And Same thing with hockey. I practiced in hockey. Football is a little bit natural because I was fast. So I was able to just get, once I got a little bit stronger. But the point is, is that there was two reasons that happened. One is I was so upset by not being picked that it was that attitude, I'm going to show you guys. So I was driven by that. But then my dad gave me like the best advice ever. I don't know if most dads would say this to their kids, but I would say it to my my son if it was the case. He said to me one day, he's like, listen, because he saw you know, how, how, how much I was struggling. And, and he said to me, listen, Scott, I'm your dad, right? Which means most likely genetically, you're very similar to me. And I can tell you this right now, you are never going to be the smartest kid in the room. You're never going to be the strongest kid in the room. And you're never going to be, you're you're never going to be naturally the best at anything. And he's like, but that's okay. He's like, because most people aren't that way, but I can tell you one thing. He's like, if every time you walk into a room, if it's at school, if it's on a a field, a sporting field, anything in life, if you can look around that room and, and honestly say you're the hardest working person in that room, you'll be okay in life and you'll do very well. And I've always taken that to heart. And so my attitude was always, whenever I walked into a room, I was like, I'm going to outwork everybody here, or at least be the hardest working person in this room. And I think you need to do that with everything in life. And most people can't do that. Most people don't want to work that hard. Most people are a little bit lazy. Most people want to take the easy path out. And that's a reason why in many cases you have divergence of where people end up in life. And um, obviously you need opportunities, but when you get the opportunity, you need to be that person. And I've always taken that. And it's funny though, because You know, I'm a, uh, you would think that's obvious, an obvious thing, like what I just said. You'd be like, well, of course that's the answer. But you'd be shocked that, like, most people don't do that. They don't look around that room and they just, like, what's the fastest, easiest way ahead? And don't do the work, don't work the hardest. And the people at the top see that. One of the things that I'll never forget in terms of paying off, just so everybody understands that people do notice it, is that on the shield in season one, I think I sh- of, the, of the writers who came back, there were some writers that weren't asked back, but of the writers who came back, and we all ended up being the key core writers for the whole series, He, um, I was definitely the, the least valuable in terms of certain elements. And I just was new, I was young, and I struggled with the show. It was a very hard show to write. And I remember Sean at the end of season one said, listen, he's like, I'm going to shoot you straight. He's like, you struggled a lot this season. I had to do a lot of rewriting on, for you. And I don't want to have to do that. But I noticed you were the first one in the office, the last one to leave. And he's like, no one worked harder than you did. And I respect that. And he's like, so I'm going to give you a second chance. And we're going I'm going to talk to you about what you need to improve. I expect you to improve all that. And if you do all that and you do improve and you work just as hard as you did this year, when it's time to talk about coming back at the end of season two, you'll get picked up, but I'm giving you a pass because of how hard you work. And I never forgot that. And and I, I learned, I listened, I worked just as hard. I got better at writing the show and ended up becoming an incredibly important member of that show. But it was through the hard work. And it was also because my boss recognized the amount of effort I was putting in. Again, all things that anybody listening to this podcast, if you don't think people are noticing, you're absolutely wrong. And what people do notice more than anything are people that aren't working hard. And that is noticeable, and you will not be rewarded for not working hard,
0: but you will for working hard. I mean, that's something that that's pervasive, like you said, through anything in life. You know, I mean, in, in I haven't been in school in years, but in school, in in work, all those type of things, it all shows. It's it's very it sticks out like a thumb, and it's it's funny you talked about the advice your dad gave to you. Is so I've got a I've got a one year old and a four year old. I'm starting to like give the little bits of advice to my four-year-old who's starting to kind of understand where I hope that he can watch the things that I'm doing and, and pick that little bit up of, you don't have to be the naturally most talented person, but if you just keep working, working, and work and enjoy what you're doing along the way, things have a much better shot of working out.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I think that one of the things like you said, it's passion for your job is very important. Because passion for it, it will mean a lot. First of all, you'll be happy with what you're doing. I mean, one thing I would say about the arts, which is very unique, that is that if you want to be a professional artist, it's the same thing as being a professional athlete. There are very few jobs available. And only a small amount of people can, can do that. You can be an accountant and be a mediocre accountant, and you'll get a job. You can be a mediocre lawyer. You can be a shitty lawyer, and you'll still get a job. There are thousands and thousands of jobs and business and 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 that they're not in the arts. They are not in sports. There are you know sixty people I think that make a uh, profession. It's even less than that. I think there's twenty people make an NBA team, and I think ten of them start, and the other ten go to the G League. There's very limited jobs in the entertainment industry, so you need to be have your A game, and you need to at a minimum be. Devoted to it, love it, and be focused and willing to work as hard as possible. That is a basis of there, without that, you have no shot. And I think the other thing is, while there are, there's definitely a natural gift and a natural talent that is needed to do the arts, you can also be successful through hard work. And I'll give you an example of an, a sports analogy so you can understand. So if you're a, let's just say you're a, Running back or a wide receiver in the NFL. The difference between making the NFL or just finishing a college career in a 40 yard dash could be the difference between a 4 5 and a 4 4. That's 4.4 seconds or 4.5. If you can run a 4 4, you make the NFL. If you run a 4 5, you're not. Now, that is such a small amount. You have no idea how little that is. And one player practices getting faster every single day practicing making the routes faster, wor- works out their legs, finds what are the muscles in my body I need to get that 10th of the second off. And another person doesn't. They go out and party or they do whatever they're doing. And so even though the naturally gifted runner who is getting a 4-4 without working out. Then there's the other person who is a four, five, four, six runner and gets to a four, four. That four, four person will probably might make the team over the natural person because they're harder working and they've matched them for the most part. And so that happens a lot. That can happen in entertainment business too, because we're not all David E. Kelly's. We're not all um the, you know, that maybe he's not even the best example, although he is pretty insanely talented. Um, Aaron Sorkins. These are people that were gifted, that God touched them and made them brilliant. David Milch is of the world. But um, the rest of a lot of us get through because we have some talent, but we hone it and we work hard on it and we love our job. And that enthusiasm rubs off on people and people want to be around us and work with us.
0: Incredibly, incredibly important. So going off of that, how how important would you say that persistence and perseverance are to a... Successful work ethic in the arts and just continuing to drive on through the bad times with hopeful good times ahead
1: it's probably the most important thing because most of the time you fail ninety nine percent of the time we fail we we write a script, no one buys it, or no one even likes it. We go up for a job, we don't get it, and so you have to love it. you have to want it more than anything in the world. I'll use another sports analogy because it's a good one and and it might help people to realize to keep going is you know there's a sport where if you fail if you literally fail 70% of the time you will make the hall of fame i mean seven out of 10 times you fail and that's baseball and what i mean by that is if you hit 300 that means that if every 10 at bats you get three hits let's say you strike out seven times in a row but the last three times up at bat you get three hits that's a 300 batting average you will make a, you'll get a contract for 200 million dollars over 10 years and you will make the hall of fame and it's a good example because it, you they don't quit so the you know the hall of famer gets up and he strikes out seven times he's humiliated in front of 50,000 people he just struck out seven times in a row but then he gets three hits and then on the next three at bats and now he's gets the big contract so I would actually say Hollywood's harder than that because I think if you get a hit one out of 10, you'll have a career. You really will. I mean, you know what I mean? You have to persevere. You have to accept. I think the biggest thing I notice from young people breaking in is that they completely over, they they believe they're way more talented than they actually are. They're usually pretty awful at what they do. They really are. It's very rare. that you ever read a new writer and are like, oh, that's really great. What you'll get maybe is there's some interesting ideas in here. There's some good scenes. There's some good, some interesting potential characters. Those people you then say, okay, well, let me give you some notes. and Let's see if you can develop that further. And those who are good will move the ball 10, 20 yards up the field. And then you'll give them more notes, and they'll move it 20 yards up the field. And eventually, all these failures, but then making it better and better and better, they'll start to, when they start on a new script, it'll be closer. Instead of 10% being good, 30% will be good. And eventually, you know, maybe you can get to 70% being good. If you can get to 70% being good, and then you give somebody, and then people start to give you notes off a of 70% script, it's you can get it to 100 uh, It's very hard to get it over. You can't just go from 10 to 100 So you know, it's where you're starting out at. So what I found is that most people are really not very good at what they're doing. They don't know how to do it. They're not very, they don't have, they're not Aaron Sorkin's, but they think they are. And when you give them notes, they oftentimes don't take them truly to heart and they, you get a script that they just brushed, did some brushstrokes on. And then when, even though you're saying you have to restart from scratch, like, you, you know, that, that you're coming at the story the wrong way. You're, there's a couple, the most interesting element is on the last page of the entire pilot. And that should be the first scene of the entire pilot. But nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants, wait, I have to rewrite the entire, I have to throw everything away. And you're saying, just start with this last scene. And I'm like, yeah, because I've done this long enough to know that that's where the story actually began. And by the way, it's okay, because you find it that way. Or like, if anything, you should be like, wow, this is amazing. You think that, my last scene could be the starting point of a good, a good episode. Yeah, I do. And that's a blessing because most people don't even have that in them. So I think that self-awareness is really important to understand and be aware that you might, you know, your, your script might be a disaster. And, and what you should really be focusing on is, and what I always say to everybody is when I read the script is what, what do you, what's a story, forget your script for a second. What, what is this about? What is this, what's inside you raging to be told? Are you frustrated because you feel like the world, you know, you have no voice in the world and no one's, the world's crumbling around you and no one's listening or you're frustrated with, you know, racism or you're frustrated with sexism or you're frustrated with poverty or, and whatever that is, that's, what's going to fuel your, your writing. So find out what that is. What are you trying to say? And then how do you tell a story about in that, that's actually interesting and coming from left field or right field so people don't see it coming and they actually think they're being told a murder mystery or they're being told an emotion a love story but it's about something deep and something important and rich and so most writers don't a have a reason to like oh i just want to do a horror story or i want to do a comedy they think it's just oh i'll be funny but all those classics that you've seen those great films they all started the writer could tell you in one line what why they wrote it why they wanted to write that and would have nothing you wouldn't even realize that you would realize it only in hindsight oh i see what they did they did it this way but i never saw it it was there but it was underneath it all but once they tell you what it's about you're like oh it's so obvious it's like you, you know it's like the uh sixth sense when you watch it the second time you get it well your your series or movie your art whatever it is needs to have that underneath it all and that and most most artists don't actually do that. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. Sometimes you're like I just want to write a song because it makes me happy. And you should do that and write that song. But the really good songwriters are doing the same thing, but you know, I always laugh about it. It's like Born in the USA is a protest song by Bruce Springsteen, but when people hear it they think it's like born in the USA and they're you know, it's catchy and it's a tune and they have no idea that it's actually critical of the United States government in that moment. I think that's a good example of how art can art works. It's interpreted in different ways. It, I think that's something that's a valuable lesson. But I think that when we get to work ethic, that's part of work ethic. And I don't think you're going to have a strong work ethic if you're not attracted to your your art in a way that inspires you. If it's just, you know what I mean? Like if there's something deeper there, that helps you get in front of the computer and typing for me. I'd imagine it helps you pick up that instrument and play. It makes actors want to act because they're trying to say something to the world. And not every role is going to do that. And you take the roles you can get. But as a, you, you need to have a point of view on the world that you're that inspires you enough to have a work ethic to begin with.
0: Fantastic advice. Is there anything that you want to plug or talk about before we go?
1: Uh, I mean, not really. I mean, I've got some stuff that I'm working on. Where, um, you know, I've been working on this. And it's in development. It's a a pirate show, uh, a very unique pirate show. It's actually about takes place in uh, Southeast Asia and it's um, it's a love story, but it's basically about the English colonization of Southeast Asia in the 1800s, right at the, right, right around the time that the industrial revolution was taking place. So it's sort of an interesting pirate show. They're more freedom fighters than they are typical pirates, but I'm working on that and trying to get a green light on that and, You know, I've got a couple other things that are in development, but nothing that I can truly plug. But I mean, what I would say is, this is the perfect way to end this, is I don't have anything going officially right now. So I'm working my butt off to try to get more stuff going. So, you know, work ethic, again, even when you're successful, you have to have a work ethic if you want the next thing to go and to get the next project going, because they don't just automatically come to you. Like there are some people, yes, you know, there's the JJ Abrams of the world. They're the super A-listers that... People to say here, you know, shepherd this for me. But majority of us, even who have careers like myself, it's once the show's over, you're starting from scratch and you're starting over again. And so you have to have that same work ethic to keep it going for the for the most part. So uh, I, I, I also think it's very important that people realize in the inter- entertainment business and writers is that just because you have one piece of success, it doesn't mean you'll have it forever. Like there's just as many hungry people out there working hard trying to get their first show, while you're trying to get your third show, and if their first show is better than your third show, their show's going and yours is not. So you've got to stay hungry and you've got to find things that inspire you and excite you because realistically, they might not go like this pirate show, which I'm really excited about because I think it's really interesting and different and unique. It's been a struggle and who knows if it'll go or not, but I love it so much that I keep working on it and keep rewriting it, trying to get it where it needs to go to try to get a green light. And this is after you know working for twenty years and having some success it's still it's still a grind, but if you're passionate and you love what you do it's not as it, it it'll get you past those moments when you're like, "Oh my God, am I really waking up at five a m to write before I have to go to work at ten and then when I get home from work at eight, am I going to write for two hours before I go to sleep?" Well, you have to do that if you want to succeed because you should you have to have a day job from most of us. And the only way you're going to get up early in the morning and write and late at night is if you have passion and and work ethic. But I think passion helps work ethic. So it may, it's not painful when
0: you're doing it because you actually love what you're doing. Awesome. Scott, thank you so much for coming on with me today. That was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. Please subscribe to the Artist Work Ethic podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. And please rate and review the show. Follow us on Instagram at the Artist's Work Ethic and check out theartistsworkethic.com.